We're back again with our Pinnacle podcast eSports special. After speaking to Pinnacle's Marco Bloom and Mick Atisani from Face It, I'm now joined by another of Pinnacle's partners, a big name in the world of eSports data. Moritz Mauer from Grid joins us on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Moritz. Hi, Ben. Thank you. Thanks for the kind intro. A pleasure to be here. Good. I'm, I'm looking forward to today's show. How are you doing? You all right? Everything good? I'm all right, yeah. Um, making the best out of the current situation and uh, in, in some regards actually enjoy being quarantined or at home because uh, the alternative is uh, non-stop traveling. So it also has its, has its good side. Glad to hear it. Well, so what we'll do today, obviously, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about you and, and your business and what you guys do and obviously esports in general. But but first of all, what I want to do is ask one simple question to kind of get us started. The answer might be complicated. It might be very straightforward. But for the for the benefit of those listening, what is esports to you? How would you kind of des- to describe it if, if someone didn't know what it is? Uh, esports for me is is competitive gaming of, of any kind, really. Um, I think especially operating in this industry, it depends on what the, what the perspective is um, or what the purpose is of the question because uh, very often esports and gaming get uh, get mixed up and I see a lot of people walking around advertising their business and using gaming numbers, which is a, like an industry of the magnitude of 150 of esports. Esports being really the, the appendix to gaming. But esports can be really any anybody having a competition playing um, being invested into the game this this can qualify for for esports from a business standpoint there is a certain threshold to be made to qualify as an esports competition and this for me is usually um, dictated by like is this a professional competition operator are these just random guys walking into an arena playing or logging in online or are they part of a team and do they do they train and um, is this their main occupancy so there's there's a lot of different i think segmentations that can be made but um, um, even though we and pinnacle 2 is focusing on certain game titles more than others i i wouldn't go as far as saying some Sports, even some esports, even though they might not have a massive um, commercial viability or big industry behind them, um, I wouldn't go as far as saying that's not a reason for them not to be esports. Traveling a lot and visiting a lot of events, um, it's also such a regional and cultural phenomenon of what people care about. And playing and watching competitive Esports is, uh, is something that is, is great and it brings a lot of people together. So that at the core for me is esports. Well, I've I've obviously had the the benefit of of speaking to you through Pinnacle and Grid's partnerships and listened to you on panels and things like that. And it's it's very clear that you you live and breathe esports. But where did that journey begin? What it, did it initially start out as kind of gaming? Were you just a fan of esports and? And then the career progressed from there. What was the what was the career path like? Um, yeah, I have to go back a few years there, but I was always an avid gamer, much to the disliking of my mom. Um, very much like since I can and remember having my first PC. Um, uh, also been very much on the PC side. Um, esports at the time when I was playing a lot wasn't really a thing to be honest. 
like we, we were playing, but uh, the, the type of esports that we would have would uh, involve me cycling through Munich with my tower in an IKEA bag to a friend's place for a weekend uh, to have a big LAN party and uh, getting owned in Call of Duty by all my friends. I was never good at FPS for some reason. I'm a big, uh, I don't know, MOBA, RTS or, or MMORPG guy. Uh, so like when, when we, we were playing a lot, certainly, but never in any organized contests or something, as far as I can tell. Some of my friends took it a bit further and became quite good in some game titles and did compete. Um, uh, but yeah, I was, I was more on the variety side. When really, when I think a big game changer was like when streaming emerged and it was not only playing games, but also watching other people play games as an activity. Uh, that's when the the whole passion around esports and professional competitive gaming becoming a thing really was sparked, at least for me. So we had both Marco and, and Mick talked about their days in, in Quake Two and Quake Three, and you were more on the RTS MOBA side. So what were your what were your first games that you really got into? I think the first game I went massively into was um, Age of Empires Two was a big one, um, and then Warcraft Three. And since then, being really quite close to the entire Blizzard um, uh, ecosystem. So, Warcraft 3, World of Warcraft, always uh, Diablo 2, I should mention, of course, Diablo 2, Diablo 3, still playing that. Um, these were some of the game types I was incredibly passionate about. And it was, at least for me, I mean, I was, I was quite young at the time, it was hard to even get organized. Like, I remember I was playing Warcraft 3, uh, Duo Ladder with this. Um, French guy uh, met online like we, I, I spoke a bit of French we could hardly communicate really <laughs> and uh, it's like we we had to call each other on our landlines to to set up times to play and uh, um, because we weren't even connected on any uh, on TeamSpeak or anything we used at the time um, so th there were there were barriers there certainly it's not as I, I kind of envy people growing up now because it's so much more accessible like Every game client comes with a, a solo queue option and uh, voice comms and everything is built into it. And you have all these great ancillary services around it and make it so easy to get organized and find a team and um, play with your friends or find a certain ladder or competition to enter into. At the time when I was playing, none of that was that accessible. So it was kind of hard work or like playing Dota in, in Warcraft 3 when it was still like in the map editor. Or as, as one of the um, uh, custom maps, like you, you had to register on a separate website and everything, and then people had to report results. So there, there was a lot more involved, um, and yeah, I mean, these were these were the games really. Clearly, some uh, some dedication and commitment on on your behalf to to get those games going. What was it? What was it that kind of made you so dedicated and committed to it? Is it the the, the same passion that, that someone might have for, for soccer or NFL or or is there something specific about esports that you, that you think stands out that makes it different to the, the traditional counterpart? And at, this, at the same time, I was playing sports. And I was a big sports fan, especially football. Being from Munich, Bayern Munich is a big part of my identity too. The, this, um, I don't think these things compete, and I know a lot of people who who also follow follow both T sports uh, 
a great word that you guys coined and and, and esports. Um, what I liked at the games at the time was they the way they were balanced and the way information about the games was not that accessible. There were game titles where you could really invest yourself into and theory craft and ultimately through really applying yourself gain an advantage and that's something that felt really rewarding like i don't know being smart around calculating attack speed breakpoints in diablo or or figuring out the perfect damage mitigation for your tank in, in world of warcraft i think i learned excel to a big part because of playing games uh, not for anything else or certainly not in school um this, that's something um, that, I, that I really liked. And this type of en engagement with the games coming from this this angle is something that really stayed with me and uh, that, that I still really like today. And your career has led you into eSports. Is the, the passion still there for Bayern Munich, soccer and, and T-sports? To be honest, uh, I took a bit of a hit over the years. So my, um, my team especially... Tom, one of our co-founders, uh, they will make fun of me for that. Um, I can't even can't even tell you exactly what the lineup is at the moment. So I'm a terrible plan. So um, it's very time-consuming. So right now, I would say I'm I'm so deep down the rabbit hole. The the, the sports fan identity really is, is hardly existent anymore. Well, I don't th I don't think you can be blamed with where your your career path has taken you. But how early on did you? see that potential career path kind of coming out did you always know back in the days of diablo and, and warcraft that the esports was going to be as big as it is um no um no not really the also i was i was young was there a moment where that changed well i think similarly the when twitch really got big in the western hemisphere that's when it that when it changed, like when we were watching, I don't know, EU SES season one with like 300k concurrent views, it was mind blowing. Um, after before watching other WoW arena players uh, with, I don't know, 50 viewers on own TV or something. Um, so that it became this, this, that there were platforms that were really aggregating this mass hype and engagement from all the gamers. Like the fact that the games were massive was was known and understood, but uh, I was maybe too young and too little experience in sports or entertainment or anything to understand what this could become. So I would absolutely not claim I anticipated. But once also streaming became quite big, I think uh, this this view changed, and this was also around the same time when like the idea for my first company emerged. Um, even be before that, maybe. Yeah, I think if I, if I have to go back, there was kind of the tipping point, like, I don't know, around 2010, um, really started to look at, uh, at games in a different way. And now being a being an esports fan is, is one thing. We're going to have a lot of people listening to this that are interested in things from a betting angle. You're obviously now kind of entrenched in the world of esports betting because of what Grid does. But was there any... Any interest in the the betting side of things while you were an esports fan and and before you you kind of started Grid and, and do what you do now? Yeah, that certainly. I mean, this is really how GG Wins, my first company, emerged. It was out of a um, we were on Teamspeak and we were watching uh, League of Legends and we were arguing about I don't know who it was like a fanatic 
probably or SK going to win. And then it hit me that there was no place where you could bet on it. Like, not at all. I think you guys were only just, just starting to offer something, maybe StarCraft at the time, something I saw on your side, but um, not, not betting or any in-play betting. So um, that's how the idea for this first company was born. And uh, very quickly, we, we turned the... Um, very quickly, we turned the uh, identifying the necessity of a place where people could bet into into a business plan. So, are we talking one of the first first dedicated esports bookmakers. Yeah, the, for context, GG Wins, uh, my first business um, with which was co-founded with, with friends at the time and some private investment. Um, we had the idea to become the first dedicated bookmaker for esports, and um, we were very well a young team with a big idea and little understanding of how big that idea and how what it would take to pull it off. Actually, how big that was, but it didn't um, at all um, demotivate us from trying to pull it off. So we wanted to go for a UK license, and we we got one. So we got the first UK gambling commission license for. Um, for esports, and that was quite interesting because we had to explain um, League of Legends and Counter Strike and other game titles to one of the most renowned governing bodies in the world who usually deal with traditional sports and apply their codes and regulations and principles to protect gamers, uh, to protect players, responsible gambling statutes, anti money laundering, anti terrorist funding, all of these things. We had to apply this to to esports uh, in order to create a uh, safe and uh, compliant environment for regulated betting, and we did. And that was incredibly exciting. And we did everything ourselves at the time. So from gathering data, um, I remember this in my dorm room, still being a student while setting up the company. Um, people manually transcribing data into into spreadsheets. Uh, we built our own models. Um, that's where that's probably the only facet where some of my academic path helped. Uh, building our own website, own risk management service, uh, implementing payments, KYC, and everything. Uh, we had a misconception how the industry works at the time. We thought bookmakers do it all in house, uh, but we didn't realize there's a big part of the market who's uh, su supplying certain services and components that make it easier to get this kind of idea off the ground. Um, I don't regret the path we took because a lot of these learnings uh, still um, they, they really also helped me and uh, propelled things forward. Well, it's it's fascinating because normally when when people end up on that side of the the betting industry, they've normally enjoyed success on the betting side of things. But it sounds like almost for you there wasn't that that avenue to to put your esports knowledge and those models to the test to bet with. So you literally had to to jump that big step and just go straight to the other side and, and offer odd yourself? Well, there, there was, we, while we were setting up the company, there was a lot of betting going on with the emerging offers that were out there because we were sitting on some of the first data ever captured for these games and rudimental models and most of the industry lines were pretty off at the time and people also were, I think, overwhelmed by... I mean, esports wasn't reliable on scheduling, so there were a lot of freebies out there from the bookmakers. So um, we sustained ourselves for a while just doing this, um, but the offering was so limited at the time that there wasn't 
it wasn't possible to really do this at any large scale. Like in sports, if you kind of have a model and you have an idea or you found uh, you, you want to exploit some weakness in the, in the industry, uh, in, the, in the general aggregate lines of all the bookmakers, you can do that and you can probably get on serious liquidity. That wasn't possible. There were super low limits too. Um, so that, yeah, that didn't seem like the, the best path. Um, we wanted to, to create something um, that we can, we can take forward and iterate on it. And yeah, some, basically some IP around what we built um, as this group of friends, but ultimately then as a, as a company. And that this first business, I mean, after realizing operating a sports book was not what we're interested, but using data, first of all, extracting data from games, processing it, applying predictive modeling and contextualizing it, these kind of things, they really, they were interesting. This is what I was getting passionate about. So, uh, we, and then selling the company to, to Bad Genius, now known as Genius Sports, uh, was all, all these things we did at the time that were critical that this transaction would happen and that there was value um, for, for anybody to look at what we built and try to take it to the next level. Well, I feel like we're, we're leading nicely on to, to grid, but before we take that, that step forward, I'd like to take just, just a step back and you mentioned about your, your dorm room and, and how you put your, your studies to good use. So what was it that you were studying and, and exactly how did you apply that? Was it just through the models and stuff that you, that you were building? Well, I mean, for, I, I first studied uh, biomedical sciences in Scotland. Um, during that time, I was not... Um, the best student, uh, I was a, a really good rated battleground leader though, and, and doing <laughs> wow cataclysm, and playing some of the best in the world. That was really exciting. Some probably developed some management skills during that time. Um, and then, then I quit that after two years and I uh, started to study um, uh, business administration and finance and some of the statistical methods or option pricing models, some of this stuff I could apply to the first predictive models that GG Wins, my first company, has built. So this certainly helped. And it was quite exciting because we would use uh, yeah, these, these established methods um, to um, basically hedge bets in faced with uncertainty. So all aspects that, that you would be... Um, that you would have to overcome if you try to model uh, outcomes of esports games in real time and uh, and it worked and it felt really cool and even though probably these weren't the, the best models we ever provided uh, we ever de developed um, they we were some of we offered some of the first live betting markets in the world but it was all way too soon um, which i didn't understand as an entrepreneur at the time at all like i had a misconception of how the industry works. Basically, we had zero marketing budget. Our idea was if we just offer the most lines, people will come and will bet. And this hypothesis holds true to some extent, but you have to be an established book uh, for this to make sense. And so we would offer over under towers destroyed in play when no one was even putting up uh, the match winner line um, in play. Like it was a bit too far ahead, but clearly some of the learnings then later helped us uh, to, to have an advantage and have a head start. 
Well, we've gone from what what was meant to be studying biomedical science in Scotland and, and playing games instead to, to the GG wins. And then you said you sold up to to Genius Sports. What what happened from there and, and how did Grid come about? Well, at, at Genius Sports, I was um, after basically selling the assets of GG wins and myself. Uh, I set up their um, their entire esports arm and product. Um, it was an exciting time. Certainly learned a lot. Um, but this is a sports company, so um, it, it took me uh, a long time to realize this won't be the environment where the ideas around really unlocking the potential of data in esports, where these ideas can thrive. It wasn't the right environment. And um, we had a lot of success. I mean, we offered the first um, in-play bets across many game titles um, with, with big customers like Azex, Skybet, um, Betway or Unicorn were, were among the customers. So we were quite well integrated and uh, uh, it was very exciting to see regulated esports betting grow during this time. Um, however, the I think it was Passport repeal in the US was uh, being anticipated. Uh, the Genius got acquired in 2018. There were a lot of signals that really, for me, were clear pointers that if I've been struggling today to get my ideas on the roadmap, the situation will only get worse if the focus shifts to the US. And um, also there's a lot of restructuring and everything. So I decided to leave uh, at the end of 2017. And um, yeah, I started to... the to think about grid and um, grid is really grid's vision. I mean, if you're okay, then we jump to the to the next topic there already. But at the time through my career, I've been um, we've been faced with a lot of challenges that are apparent in esports and especially around esports data. One of them is the the fragmentation of the space. So many game titles played in different genres on different platforms different regional preferences of games and everything. Um, and then the second one is they're always changing through iterative patches. So um, having seen how hard it is with very static traditional sports infrastructure to tackle these challenges, I thought there must be a different way of doing these things um, to be more flexible, to make it easier to adapt to an ever-changing sport. And at the same time, do things in a more game agnostic way in order to onboard titles quicker and to also like really cover the, this quite broad spectrum that esports is. And, and then also, I mean, there's many data uses beyond betting that I always wanted to explore and this, this, there wasn't never really the right environment for it. So all of these ideas were founded and grid platform thinking that we built this backend of esports in a way and um, overcome these challenges and unlock the potential of esports data across um, a wide array um, of, of areas. So turn it into, into commercial value for, for rights holders, uh, use it to um, empower players and empower coaches to make better decisions engage fans better and help them to like turning data into stories a bit um, making um, the right stats more available infusing these things into a broadcast so there's so many ways that data is utilized in sport 
And esports, despite being digital, has not seen a lot of innovation there. I mean, it's it's getting better now, and we have a lot of cool case studies to look back on and partnerships that are helping us to do that. For example, ours. But then at the time, um, I just saw a lot of untapped potential, and that's where where Grid came in. And I mean, we can speak about the team in a minute, but the other stakeholders I brought in, the other co-founders, like they they all, in a similar way experienced um, these these challenges and brought in the perfect track record to to tackle these and that's that's what our group is doing now and this con- will continue to do well yeah to to try and draw a line because because again some of the listeners here might might be more accustomed to the traditional sports kind of variants of what we're talking about and i guess for those that might be aware of would i be right in saying kind of like a perform of esports where the the centralized data but then using things like i know opta kind of uses data to kind of form content and, and tell a narrative around sports is that is that kind of where we're at with with what grid is doing yeah i mean that's that's a, that's a fair analogy yeah like um exactly using data across uh, uh in, in various different ways and making it accessible to fans and to organizations to ultimately improve their product and improve their experiences of of the fans and viewers yeah and the, the two that probably are worth really diving into there obviously we we know what you can do with the the fan experience and the broadcasts and things like that but i guess people listening might want to know one from a a better's point of view and, and two from a bookmaker's point of view so obviously i said on the the intro there that that grid is a, a part a partner of pinnacle our, our esports data supplier so what is it from a from a bookmaker side of things? What is it that that your data does that kind of helps a bookmaker? Well, um, this this has been a a sector that has been developing rapidly over the last three years, I would say. And we, in my previous capacity now of Grid, we definitely played a part in this. And the reality is, in in esports, there's the diff, compared to sports, streaming is is widely available. But is it the, is this the right uh, streaming to base um, um, odds on or to, to disseminate data feeds from that you could use to um, to, to do odds. And um, the, the answer is probably no, because there's a lot of delays and there's also a lot of uncertainty. So as a bookmaker, it's always important to ensure that you have access to a source uh, that is not delayed so people can't pick you off. And it's also a big integrity concern um, related to that. If um, if the if the speed of data available to different parties is varying, this is the type of situation that invites uh, risks around people misusing, um, being involved uh, with a tournament or having access to information faster than others. So these are all things that are not really helping a sport usually. So in order to do betting right, and I um, I mean you see that in my career, and I would be fool saying anything else i'm a big believer in betting and i think i'm a big believer in esports benefiting from betting and betting making it more sustainable we see this on the sponsorship side already but some of the things that grid is doing are opening even a wider array of how beneficial it can be to to a league um and what we do for for the bookmakers we solve the challenge around um uncertainty of of sources that are used for trading by using our technology to get 
the most uh, real-time and granular data that is possible. And the good thing in eSports, uh, the perfect data is there somewhere. You just need to have the right plugin or integration um, and make this available so, so they can power um, trading tools, they can power live odds, good visualizations, and all in all provide a good experience to their punters. Um, driving informed decision-making, making really the the um, statistics that are important for, for a viewer or punter to assess what's going on, making this available. Um, these are the type of things that we do for bookmakers. And with the, the data obviously being used from a, from a trading point of view and being able to offer these new and exciting markets that potentially wouldn't have been able to offer before, I know you said at, at GG Wins there was the, you were going down the first turret route before money line or match winner odds were, were available. So the, the appetite from the industry clearly wasn't in line with where you were as what your data could offer. Are we now at a point where there's more alignment with, say, market appetite for the kind of markets and, and what your data can provide? Or are you still far ahead and, and waiting for people to catch up and, and offer exactly what you can? Um, I, I, I mean, I'd like to say that still we, the, the data is so granular that, that we, like we could give you data on how many chickens are knifed on Inferno in MF Counter-Strike. Yeah. Like, I don't see bets on that yet. But um, ultimately, now that the trend has been great over the last time, I mean, the, the markets you offer, one, one that I'm a big fan of is like the next round winner. Um, I mean, Counter-Strike is round-based. is a perfect market to offer. Um, this is only possible if you have quality data. And really there, we want to continue to innovate. And this is why we also entered this partnership. But I guess we can speak about it a bit later too. Um, we want to work with people who understand the potential that is there for esports. Because I've been, uh, I've been touring... Uh, like the, the speaker cycle in a lot, of, a lot of sports business conferences and um, what is presented as innovation like minute markets or other things that are designed to make in-play more, um, more engaging and cater more to basically uh, markets with a shorter time horizon. Um, these these are things then i mean i don't care so much if there will be more than two and a half rowings in the next five minutes i don't know like this is for me this is not the core development line of the game but in esports there's so many objectives that really pertain to the main story of the match that are important to to every viewer and and where everybody watching knows this is the next big thing happening offering all of these is an amazing real-time engagement for for esports and there i think we're now starting to tap into the potential that is there offering the next kill um offering a wider array of options for punters and having these uh, these quick fire market types available on an ongoing basis all of this is possible through um through quality and reliable data in in the way that we extract it through for our official partnerships so that's, that's super exciting. So this is certainly an area where we'll be uh, invested more going forward. One of the, one of the things I spoke to, to Mick from Faceit about was how esports has almost snowballed into this thing where the, the term esports is used as like a, a catch-all 
term for for what is very different titles and games and I know you said you're you're taking that agnostic approach to the the different titles but from a from a data perspective are is it more difficult to to capture data on something say like CS:GO compared to League of Legends or or are they all one and the same with you and it's just a case of changing that approach and the how you collect data and things like that to to suit each title or or do do some of them offer more challenges than others um so the, the game agnostic vision that lives on the platform side that means that all the things that are processing data and the way we organize data is done as game agnostic as possible which is opening up a lot of opportunities for us and also makes our data more usable for our clients so they don't have to look at a completely different data scheme for another game if they get the data by us up to a very granular point an in-game event in CSGO and in League of Legends will look the same. On the data extraction side, um, you can't do this agnostic. Um, maybe in CSGO and Dota, the type of uh, way you can hook into these are, diff- these are different because this is created by Valve, but ultimately um, uh, it is similar, I mean, because it's created by Valve. But in the... for Getting data out of out of games, it's varying from title to title very much, um, which is a challenge. And again, like we we have a big part of our team dedicated uh, as an R and D unit to figuring these things out. I think what is a um, one thing I'd like to say at this point is really we we are working with official data only, and the partnerships we do they are always aligning incentives between the clients that we have like you and, and many others and all the other parties we supply with data and um, the data owners, the rights holders. So that's, you mentioned Mick before, um, Flashpoint is now one of our partners, this amazing franchise league in the US. And um, we do this in a way that, that we share revenue across everything we do. So through aligning these incentives, obviously we have the ability to work very closely with them and figure out the ideal method to get the data, also do it in a very micro-invasive way. We don't want to introduce any latency or any lag. And we understand these concerns on their side. And um, obviously, they are protective of the environment in which the, the games are played because they don't want to, they want to make sure that no one could implement anything for cheating or something. So we don't grab data from, from a stream um, through optical character recognition or computer vision. I think that's a, this entire concept is a, uh, is the completely wrong path in esports because you have the perfect data somewhere. It's just harder to get there. So um, our approach is really to get to this perfect data picture and do this in official partnerships where everybody's benefiting from um, integrating us. And then if you have this type of setting, you can work very close with the parties, with the game publisher or the tournament organizer to make sure you have access to all the right APIs, telemetry, um, game engine to some extent where you can then read um, all the data fields that are important and that you ultimately want to package into what is relevant for your customers. Uh, so there we are, we are expanding and we cover a lot of game titles already and we will continue to, to stick to our approach because we think it's just the right thing to do because ultimately through, through our approach, which is very skin-in-the-game driven, we are aiding the sustainability of esports as an ecosystem. Well, it's 
it's clear to see that you're you're leading the charge with esports data. I mean, quantity, quality of of the data that you you provide is is above anyone else in the industry. I guess it begs the question that that how did you get to that point? Was it just a case of you spotted that gap in the market before anyone else, and you could you could build up from there, or is it a case of your your partners or the the team at Grid and the resources you had at your disposal at the start was was really the key to success? Um, well, first of all, thanks for for recognizing that and our hard work. Um, on the one hand, certainly the, the team of founders, as I mentioned earlier, they they understood these challenges, being on the client side or on the on the rights holder side or on the technology side. So this approach I explained earlier for our platform is something that that resonated well, and from day one it gave us a very clear direction and. This has been a factor in in getting to market quickly, and uh, the I mean the, the business we we started in September two thousand eighteen, so it's been quite a ride since then. Um, but the core thing, really, I think that gives us a massive USP as a business, and I think why we're why we're ahead of the competition in that sense is is our team. It's a super unique, um, aligned. A uh, group of of passionate people with a passion for esports, but not just that. Also, all of them with a with a track record and a skill set developed in other industries or in their career before, and um, we have a an amazing chemistry there. And a well, well, what frustrated me in my previous capacity is that we could never do anything. Like we would have great partnerships, we have amazing opportunities, but it never had any any pull. Like there would the drivers, they they would always, the drivers to do a new project, they always had to compete with other uh, short-term considerations of a big company, and that were tied to massive commercial incentives. We we work differently. We do things because it's right, and we work in, in our partnerships, like with Mick and with many others there. And um, if we identify something, we scope this together, and everybody's aligned that this is what we want to do. Then we just execute, and. Um, the team, I mean, I put together the core team at the start, but since then, then like especially Chris and Tom, uh, the, the, the the group of people they put together to execute on this vision is quite phenomenal, and um, we we were also able to to attract a lot more talent since then because um, just recently we hired Will Fontaine as a head of US. Um, he has spent six years as sport trader and he's been. Uh, he told me he had similar challenges when he tried to uh, push more esports in their business. Or, or Charlie, uh, who is our, our VP of partnerships, um, too. He, he came, funnily enough, also initially, he's, he's actually a full blown doctor. Uh, but then he also he was with, with other data companies and he, he was frustrated that uh, they, yeah, everything took too long. And here we, we just. Um, I think we've built a culture where we execute fast and esports is is very volatile as an industry and a lot of things happen on short notice so i think you need to embrace this mindset in order to succeed in this industry um and if if you ask me to to identify one reason why we're succeeding and we're moving at a very fast pace it's definitely the team that's the that's grid's biggest asset and it, it it almost sounds like in the esports industry you almost need like a, a startup mindset, even though you might be this this big global company. Is that is that how things work? 
Oh yeah, we had a total startup gung ho mindset at the start. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, the very first big agreement for the phase at major we entered into. I think I signed this two days after incorporating the company, and then just a month and a few days later, we had to present a, an MVP for a broadcast innovation tool that they then used, and um, that was sponsored by by another big betting brand and which featured real-time contextualized cool stats on the stream for the viewers so yeah ultimate startup mindset we're, we're now 43 people of three offices uh, so we're we're maturing now and now our focus is to, to bring more stability into it to really prepare for the next big moves um, but it helps if you if you come with that mindset into into esports certainly well people might be listening to this because you i know you mentioned the year 2010 earlier as like a, a big landmark for you in the the growth of esports and i'm sure people might be thinking well grid sounds like it could be a a 10 15 year old company so how when was grid founded and just how quickly have things changed i think it was founded in summer 2018 we launched in september and since then we ramped up really quickly and we now are commanding the i think the biggest uh, not, not. I think I'm, I'm certain the, the biggest portfolio of exclusive rights in CS:GO, Dota, um, PUBG, and other games. And uh, we're, yeah, we're looking to add more titles to fulfill this platform vision. Um, yeah, we. It, it sounds like it sounds a bit more established than it probably is. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've been moving very fast, adding a lot of people fast, which is always a challenge. But growing too fast can also totally backfire. But I think the speed we maintained uh, so far, um, uh, it hasn't threatened our our growth at all. Um, and we're, we're looking to, to continue there. And there's, there's new opportunities all the time and there's new games becoming relevant out of nowhere um, continuously. So the approach is really to be prepared for these opportunities. And now we have built a framework that allows us to onboard new game titles very quickly, um, add new products downstream to our data platform um, quickly too. Um, what we did together really here for, for Flashpoint and, and uh, in, in our partnership is, is a great example for that. Um, really supplying you with the means to activate your sponsorship well and present uh, the brand, but also engage fans and provide value to them as a betting sponsor this this is exactly what we aim to do more and, and no doubt the the potential for future growth as well but i guess where does that for, for growth what does it look like for you is it are you not to always draw this comparison to other traditional sports but i know people will know things like baseball as a very data rich sport is the the goal for you is it to to get on par with that are you already on par with that or is it more about addressing that that fracturing that you said existed in the industry and making it more kind of holistic where where do you want to get to that's a really good point so even a it's an internal discussion point like do we go deeper into one game vertical or do we continue to go broader and add more titles and these, these are big strategic uh, considerations of course um i mean to be honest baseball is super data rich but then the like, even though I'm saying we still have a lot of, there's still a way to go in esports to to really unlock the potential of data. Um, just because the starting point is that you have the perfect data 
somewhere and it's just getting making it accessible more to more parties to to make innovative to do any innovative things with it in in my mind my vision is really esports will be a technology sandbox for for traditional sports and this will apply to areas like bringing data into into the broadcast making more statistics available to fans and teams um at the moment this is this is all starting out but uh, i don't see how a traditional sports can compete with the means that a digital sport like eSport has. And it depends a bit on the game title too. There's different communities in specific games who are just way more uh, advanced on on harnessing the potential of data than others. And it's, it's more relevant in some game, game titles than in others. But uh, I'm, I'm certain that eSports will lead the race here. And um, this will bring forward innovation and new technologies that can then provide us a benefit to, to sport. And I think many investors in the esports space, they also see it that way, especially looking at the US, where you have owners of, of big sports franchises um, going into esports. This is, they understand the value of it. And um, I think it's also a consideration in, in, their, in their drive to enter esports. Well, that, that brings us on nicely to, to maybe a little discussion around what actually the, the future has in store for esports. And I want to kind of talk, talk about this on, in kind of different parts because there's, there's many different angles that we could approach this from. But I guess, first of all, from like a, a general industry perspective, where, where do you see esports going and, and what needs to kind of change for the, the industry to sustain the, the growth we've seen over the last couple of years? Okay, um, a big question. Um, let's see. So, first of all, what happened over the last few years is something that I, I really su- support. Um, esports at the start was a way for game publishers to um, subsidize marketing spend through sponsorship income. Like, that's what it was at the start. Esports verticals within game publishers, they didn't have their own team or very limited people running their their competitive gaming initiatives. Um, they didn't have their own PL because as I mentioned before, they were just part of the marketing budget very often. And this is not the environment that will really um, drive innovation because uh, if, if the esports part in a game title, if they don't think like a business and are trying to get the most value and monetize efficiently, um, then they're not so uh, prone to um, onboard new ways to uh, create more unique experiences because there's no incentive behind doing so. Some publishers do just because they think it's the right thing, but, but most would fall into this category. And through the recent trends we see in franchising, um, it's breaking out esports from gaming. And this is changing how publishers look at it and then they have separate investment. And suddenly, uh, this matured a lot of things. I'm by saying that I don't think all of these franchise leagues, um, especially the big ones in the US, I don't think they they all have found the, the right model yet. But that will that will take some more time. But um, this is a development of the industry as a whole that really helps the space. And I mean, I remember when when. Um, I was at ICE, this big gambling conference in London, like in 2013 or something, and had to explain esports to people. 
One thing uh, that was really hard for especially non-endemic brands to grasp it was the fact that there's so much uncertainty that's so the wild west that the, the, the entire scheduling for a year, you, you could never um, explicitly say when which tournament has happened, which team will be playing. Um, League of Legends there was the first game that came up with a proper schedule with a promotion, spring split, playoffs, mid-season invitational, the same thing for summer, Worlds, and then All-Stars. That, that structure, I think it started 2014 or 2015, that really helped because then suddenly you could tell someone who would look at the, the World Series and then League of Legends, like they could see, ah, this is the uh, competitive framework of this game. And um, the and, and famously Dota was the worst in this aspect and when it comes to, to scheduling or anything. They always had the biggest uncertainty of which event is going to happen one. And this was a pain not only for people like us trying to um, uh, capture data or really map an entire um, game vertical. This was also a pain for the third parties running the competitions. Um, guys like Mick, this was a pain for the teams because they had so much uncertainty. They couldn't tell their sponsors exactly how much exposure they would get out of a deal. Um, and it was hard for the fan too because they had to be really uh, only the, the most uh, loyal fans who were really um, who came from the space, who were like native to the ecosystem, who would knew where to inform themselves. Only they were able to follow this properly. So this, this I think, was also barring um, other and maybe a bit more of a broader audience of casual esports viewers. And we see now a lot of non-endemic viewership happening, people who don't play the game or who are not super ingrained in the ecosystem. So this trend of creating better structures and consolidating the space a bit and getting rid of this wild, wild west theme. Uh, this this helps. So we see this now in Dota with these new league announcements. There's there's a lot of developments that point in the right direction. So I think we will see more of that. And that will make it easier for the entire ecosystem to, to grow. Uh, so that's a that's a that's something I think that has to continue to happen and that is happening. Um, yeah, sort of that was a super long answer to, to the question, but these are the, the considerations around this challenge. Um, one of the, the, the interesting things that I just pulled out of that was you talked about this separating gaming and esports, and then you talked about how Dota is potentially doing well with in, in terms of how it structures things. Do you, do you think it's beneficial to esports, the ecosystem, to be known as esports, or do, do these titles need to make more of an effort to emerge as a, a sport in their own right? You don't you don't see bookmakers listing kind of stick and ball sports all under one category on their website, but but pretty much 100% of the time you, you'll see esports and then the titles fall underneath that. Is, is that a good thing for the industry or does that need to change? Um, good point. Always been a big discussion point and like this just almost goes along with the whole naming discussion. I... I think this will naturally evolve if some of the games actually, like some people claim before, become as big as traditional sports, then you will not see um, all lumped, all of it lumped under one uh, umbrella term um, in the organization of a bookie site, for example. But for now, I think this is completely fine. I don't think it's harming the industry. Um, it's just 
I mean, as a, for a bookmaker specifically, they have to understand which games actually matter in the territories where they operate. Um, that's that's important. So if under your esports tab, you I don't know, you only have uh, fighting games and uh, StarCraft, but you don't operate anywhere in Asia, then it's probably won't be the most appealing uh, offering. Um, I think that's okay to run with this category. And I think it also helps the industry because as long as people aggregate the numbers across all esports, we see these insane news reports and uh, that everybody's using to, to make the case for esports and how big it is already. When in reality, it's not that big. It's that compared to gaming, it's tiny and compared to sport, it's also quite small. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that the the plans for Grid are kind of aligned with your your hopes for the industry in general, but is there any big things coming up in the future that, that Grid's working on that you want to talk about or, or kind of what you what you see happening at Grid? Well, maybe one, one thing I'm happy to disclose, um, because it's also very betting related, is um, through a partnership with, with Gameco, who are integrated with a lot of casinos in the US, we are doing a lot on the regulatory front and we want to enable it for, for guys like you venturing into the US um, or other brands looking to capture this market to offer esports, because at the moment, um, the situation there with the commissions in the different states is super comparable to the situation I encountered when I first spoke to the UK Gambling Commission in 2012. And it's, they, they don't know, and there's a big educational barrier to overcome. So we want to help to establish the market and also change the regulation over there, because at the moment, esports is considered um, in a betting licensing category that is event betting and um, other things that would fall into categories betting on Eurovision song contest or uh, the next election or something. So clearly esports doesn't belong there. And one of the challenges that comes with this categorization at the moment is that if you want to offer an esports tournament, you have to get a license exemptions for, for every specific tournament you want to offer. Obviously, there's thousands of events ongoing and the outcome of the, the status quo here is that only five tournaments have been offered since passport repeal in 2018. So, and the recent news you saw about the, the EPL being offered there by William Hill is only, uh, this is only pre-match betting too. So I think I want to, again, put the, put the esports evangelist hat on and uh, we want to try to, to break, break through this and educate regulator store there to ensure that esports can be offered like a sport, which means the, the, the regulated operators in the US can offer any, any event um, within a specific game vertical. And I think this will really um, fuel a lot of growth in the space. So that's one of the bigger things we're working on. And then what about yourself is the the foot coming off the gas with esports. Can you can you afford to go see Bayern Munich? Maybe are you you hoping for a new version of Diablo? What the what are the plans for you? Well, there is a new version. I'm playing a lot of Diablo since quarantine, and uh, no, I'm, I'm totally. Uh, <laughs> I'll stick to what I do at the moment uh, and uh, continue exactly that. I'm, I'm very happy, and it's been quite a journey, and I couldn't be happier and more thankful for all the things that happen and that ultimately make what we're doing possible. It's, uh, 
it's an environment, an amazing industry to work in. It's super fast paced, which I think is, is very exciting and not challenging. And um, yeah, I, I, I enjoy the work. I, I love our company and our team and it, it's like a dream come true. So I, I just, um, I just want to continue what we do and um, I'm sure it will continue to yield good results as we move forward. Well, it's, it's been great chatting to you, Moritz. A, a fascinating character, a fascinating story, and like just great to hear about what Grid has done and where you're going. I'm, I'm sure our listeners have got a lot out of it as well. So thanks for coming on and, and answering all my questions. Ben, thank you. Thanks for this opportunity to tell the story. And uh, yeah, absolute pleasure to talk to you. And thanks to everyone for listening. We have got more podcasts on the way in the coming days, and there's obviously plenty of articles on Pinnacle's eSports hub section of the website. You can learn more about eSports betting as well by following at Pinnacle eSports on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.